This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today, man, I've got the honor to interview a Purple Heart recipient, the Bronze Star with Valor recipient, an author uh, of the book called uh, Warrior for Freedom. He is the co-founder and senior vice president of Folds of Honor. Ed Polito, how you doing, my friend? Man, what a great day to be an American, and thank you for having me on the show, and congratulations on all that you're doing to make things happen in the greatest nation in the world, United States of America. Amen, brother. I like it. We are very blessed. I like we? it too. Oh, we're blessed. Yeah. Every day you get up, you know, and you live in a country that's free and it's people and it's about we, the people making things happen. And it's always great to do these kind of media uh, success stories and talk about what individuals are doing out here in this great nation and around the world, just to impact the lives of, of those that are less fortunate, but also impact the lives of those that want to get ahead in life. Well, we are all thankful for our freedom because of people like you. Without you and uh, without your brothers and sisters, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So uh, thank you, my friend, for what you've done. And uh, well, thank you. Let's, let's dive in. I mean, I'm pretty quick to get into this stuff. And before we get into your, your full story of your military background and the things that uh, you've done there, uh, I always like to start kind of, Ed, with what's made you the man you are today. A lot of people talk about maybe their upbringing, maybe it's family, maybe it's whatever it may be. But uh, can, can you really give us a, a, the backstory of what Ed Polito, uh, who he was maybe before the military? Well, you know, that's a great question, and I've often asked that, and I often tell people when I do public speaking across the country, it all started with my father, and I have to say my father and my mom, my father was an immigrant from Colombia, my mom was from Puerto Rico, my dad ended up in aeronautical school down at, uh, you know, American University down in Puerto Rico, and one of the things that I always say is that, you know, during that time frame of the, of the mid-60s, um, you know, the economy was in a place where it was a little different and my dad had to go to work and uh, provide for the family. And certainly that's exactly what he did. And he joined the United States Army, Vietnam era veteran. And the thing that inspired me most about my father, his name's uh, Manuel, um, was the fact, you know, he didn't speak English. He came to this country. He took that oath of office to defend the great nation and serve in uniform, get his citizenship years later. And every time that he woke up and and took care of the family, you know, he put on his combat boots and went to work and he learned the language and he became very successful. And now he's doing mission work in Colombia to give back to those that, um, you know, helped him get the, the great start here in this country. And then, of course, he meets my mom. I always tell it's like oil and water getting together, a Puerto Rican and a Colombian, but <laughs> they made it happen. And 
And, you know, the great irony of all of this is that they uh, instilled, you know, the values of, of loving your nation, serving your nation, uh, but also uh, living by faith. And, and certainly, as I always say, you know, God, family, country, and all of the things that go along with it that um, are, are what I call the fundamental principles of the great nation uh, that we call the United States of America. Amen. So you uh, then followed in his footsteps and decided to join the military. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I wanted to take that oath of office. And I, was, I always told people, I'm like, I just want to do exactly what he did. And I joined him at the age of about 17, signed the contract. And then, of course, you know, when you turn of age, you're ready to go and they send you off. And instead of hanging out over the summer and getting in any trouble, I decided that I wanted to empower myself to join the military. And that's what happened. And I had a very great career. And the thing that really was motivational for me was that, um, I don't know if, if you understand this, but there's the enlisted and the non-commissioned officer, which is the backbone of our military. And then there's also the officers. And the thing that I did is I felt like I wanted to be become a enlisted service member, then eventually a non-commissioned officer, and then finally get commissioned uh, to understand both sides of, of, this, of the spectrum that we call our military service. And, and it was great because I was able to uh, mentor people, provide, um, you know, what I call educational support. And I always have a motto, it's mission first, team always, and always lead from the front, not from behind. Mm. Yeah, there's a good book, What Is It, Leaders Eat Last? Right. And so oh, yeah. you're also same thing. I mean, different, obviously not mis lead from the front, not behind, but I mean, you got to make sure your people eat first too, right? Yeah. You know, and that's a great principle for all of us to know that, you know what, the CEO got to take care of business, but you know what, your, your engine is those people around you. And that is what that mission first team always approach was all about. Yeah. You let your, your people eat chow first and guess what, you know what, you come right behind and, and you make sure that they know that, that that economic engine or that, you know, training engine, whatever we may want to call it in the military, that really makes our combat trains effective on the battlefield and the leadership principles behind it. That's actually one of the leadership principles. And I'm glad you brought it up because I have a great story of being overseas and having to tell some people with some high rank that, hey, my guys are going to eat first. Uh, they're the lower enlisted service members. They're the ones out there hitting the pavement every day. And you know what? They're going to eat first because that's the way we do it in the military. And everyone understands that. And it's just sometimes a, a stark reminder of the fact that uh, that's how we lead. We lead uh, with integrity and with loyalty and with honor and duty and responsibility. Absolutely. So talk to us about that day in August. It was August 17th, 2004. You're over there. You're doing your thing, right? You're serving our country, giving us the freedom that we are so lucky to have. And uh, unfortunately, you and your, your team uh, came into contact with an IED that day. So kind of walk us through that day uh, and how this has obviously shaped your life and what's going on today. Well, and, and before I even get into that, I want to like give a big shout out to, to you and, and for, for having me on to talk about a very, uh, what I call serious uh, conversation. You know, when we yeah. take that oath of office, people understand that when you do take it, it is to basically defend this great nation and it entails losing limb life and, and everything that you've worked for. And the thing is, that's what it's all about. That's why you train. So one of the things that I tell people on August 17th, 04 is those principles would really hold true 
or understanding what that mission was all about and what that meant. So I was traveling to the city of Bakuba, Iraq, which is about, um, oh, it's about 50 miles, 60 miles from Baghdad, and it's like northeast Iraq. And of course, we call this place IED Alley because that's where all of the IEDs, high, high percentage, um, high impact IEDs, you know, anywhere from 250 to 500 pound bombs. And so, you know, when that thing comes out of the ground, you, you know, it's no joke. And so we've right. been trained effectively and worked with the coalition forces. We cleared, you know, you clear these roads each and every day. But the thing about it is dangerous. It's dangerous work. And these uh, insurgents know and understand that, you know what, we're going to hit our forces. And where I got hit in Bakuba, to put it in perspective for the listeners, is I got hit where Al Sarkawi was killed. Oh. And al-Sarqawi was the menace of Iraq. He was leading al-Qaeda in Iraq over there in the, in the northern, northeastern border uh, with Iran. And so Iran was providing the bomb-making materials over to do these IEDs. And, of course, on August 17th, 04, at about 12.04 in the afternoon, I hit a roadside bomb. It was about a 250-pounder. And as I was driving, I, I saw it. And I, as my guys in front of me kind of told me, hey, you know what, IED, IED, uh, certainly the only thing I could do is pull the wheel to the right and, and try to avoid it. And I hit it, um, not flush, and that's what saved my life. And of course, our vehicle went and basically went into the sand. And, uh, and I tell people, it was about 50 feet in the air, it seemed like, you know, because your vehicle just comes off the ground, you know, and, and it took a big, it made a big old hole in that ground. And, sends the vehicle off. And of course, you know, I was able to kind of withstand it to where it wouldn't flip over and that saved our lives. But then all of a sudden the cab is on fire. You know, you're talking about insurgents uh, in the area. You're talking about onlookers. Um, and then you're talking about a, a bad situation and everything that we do, we do it to the, to the best of our abilities, 360 degree perimeter. We throw white smoke, red smoke to identify somebody's down. And guess what? They begin to render aid and uh, combat medic, of course, pulls me out of the vehicle and it's burning, you know, and it's on fire. It's really bad. Back there in the back, I could see through my window is the transmission of the vehicle. But you know what? We did everything to clockwork and the young man uh, from Nebraska took me out of that vehicle and saved my life, tied a tourniquet. And I was on my road uh, to recovery as I headed to Baghdad and flatline three times and come back. You know what? I'd, I'd do it again for the greatest nation in the world, our country, you know? Well, I sit here and I pause because I'm just, I'm just trying to put myself in that situation, right? So you flatlined three times uh, and you, you know, you've probably told the story a million times, but uh, you know, I, I've, our listeners, maybe they've heard it before. Or a lot of them are probably hearing it for the first time. So, so walk us through that. So this, this loud, obviously in a massive loud explosion goes off. Uh, how many people are in the car with you at this time? Well, actually, I had my colonel with me, and he it, it, the reason that he didn't get – he got a, con a major concussion blast from it, but the reason that he didn't get any of the shrapnel is because I had turned that wheel over, and I took the brunt of it. If I would have hit it flush driving a white SUV in the, in the lands of Iraq, you're not going to live. Yeah, and, the, and that's what saved our lives, and that's what I wrote about in my um, autobiography, Warrior for Freedom. Um, it was uh, written with a lady by the name of Marie, Marie Bartlett, and I kind of premised the story be, behind just a way to tell a story, but a way to heal. And to me, that was the most powerful thing. But, you know, to see a combat medic look at you and say, man, you're 
it's funny. He says, man, you're hurt bad. You know, you're not supposed to tell the patient that, but yeah, you're like, thanks you know, a lot, he buddy. told me the truth. <laughs> he, yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. But you know, he, he told me the truth and you know what? He was motivating and impact impactful. He took his training seriously. And that to me is the, the story behind this. Um, for those listeners, I want everyone to understand that our armed forces, um, you know, they don't make a lot of money, but they certainly go out and hit this stuff all over the world each and every day. Yeah. And man, it's great to have, like, as you know, what was that one a movie, A Few Good Men? You want us behind that wall. Absolutely. Uh, you know, someone's got to do that kind of work. And to all the first responders out there in fire and police, same thing, you know, thank you for getting up every day. Thank you for doing your job. And thank you for, you know what, protecting uh, this great nation and its citizens. And and that's what happened. It was scary, but you know what? At the end of the day, I wouldn't trade it all for anything. I, I live a great life today, and I was saved uh, for a reason. That's right, and absolutely. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So, But when you're being saved, I'm assuming there's uh, bullets flying by. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Obviously, you're not able to fight, I wouldn't think, at this point. And yet the team still gets you to, what, a helicopter and gets you out of there saves your life, flatlined three times, talk to us about, then you get to the hospital and uh, obviously there's a, there's a major wound and um, you lost your uh, right leg, right? And yeah. yeah. Very, and, very tragic. And it, you know what, and that, not to interrupt you, but yeah, that's a very powerful message that you just put together. I mean, because what happens is what we did on that day is we did everything you're supposed to do to the highest standards of our training. And that's what you just described. And um, as I'm in the helicopter, what woke me up ironically was that when you go into the, the it's a hot LZ, basically, of course, the helicopter is coming down to get someone. So that's hot. And then when they leave, you know, you never know that chopper can be shot down and those people are going to try to do that. And those, um, you know, aviators are just outstanding. And so they yeah. get me out of there. And, that's and not I'm your nice little smooth takeoff either. Oh no. And, uh, and then there's sand everywhere and everybody's yeah. doing what they're doing. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're going to blow up the vehicle I'm in because the stuff that's in it, you know what, we can't just leave it there. Um, so that's how clockwork, all of that works. And then I, as I'm headed to Baghdad, I remember thinking to myself, man, I think I'm done because I lost a lot of blood, but you know, the, there's another medic in that chopper and his job is serious. And then of course, He's doing everything, and then there's a gunner right there, and as we're coming in to Baghdad, 47 minutes after I'd been hit, I'm in this helicopter, and we arrive, and we arrive in what we call the green zone, which is where the 31st cash is, and the 31st cash is like a mass unit where they're ready for you when you come off the helicopter or you're being transported there. They're ready, and so as we go in, it's the coolest part is what woke me up, and I'm like, and I, then I knew where I kind of was at, and I was like, man, but I'm in shock. So, you know, and I see, I have my death experience. And, so you've already and had that. So I was going to ask of, about of, that. Of, so you're flying and you, you mentally thought you're done. You checked out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, when you see the light and you see things that um, I will never, ever be able to describe. Can you, can you tell us about that? Why it happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. What happens is that, you know, in that particular time, for a little bit, I, what really sent me into shock was when my leg collapsed uh, I, as I was getting out of the vehicle. And, you know, of course, you're not wanting to get hit by any small arms fire. Um, and that's what a war fighter does. And so, of course, I get out and my leg collapses and then I go into shock. And shock is one of the most 
interesting things um, that um, I can describe. One, it, it, you go into this peaceful mode, and then two, you can't feel any pain, and then three, your life flashes in front of you. Now, maybe there's a different you know, thing for everybody else, but that's exactly the three elements that I face. And when you say life flash in front of you, are are you going back, sorry to keep interrupting you, but you, are you going back to like, you see literally moments of your life, like in your childhood to, you know, two weeks ago, or what are you seeing when your life flashes in front of you? Everything that you had done good, bad, and different, and things that were very big milestones in life from birth. And it, I can't describe it in any other way except to think about the. I remember being playing, you know, I was little, played in a play when I was a young boy at five years old. And, and there was an element there of that and seeing your grandparents and your parents and, and your wife, you know, my wife, Karen, and my little girl, Caitlin, who was at home and, and those things flash and, and they keep flashing up past you, you know, and you're seeing all of the uh, all of the things around you that are just in slow motion and then the other part of it is just like this this thirst for water and this like your body is pumping i've never heard my heart beat like that and mm. your heart's just beating to to grab anything that it can and then your brain is playing different things on you and of course you know you're it, it, it's 128 degrees that's what i didn't say and it's like i'm feeling cold and mm. and clammy you know and so through that whole thing you're seeing so many different things about life and you know what the most interesting thing about it and i described this because it was powerful in fact i talked about it two days ago at an event and someone asked me what was the most impactful thing that's ever happened you know i'm like well seeing the future and how the future and, and probably people are like, really? No, seeing the future of, of events that are going to happen. And I hope that I'm going to be there to, to be a part of that event. And I say that because I, I passed, uh, I was in Dallas, Texas, not too long ago, and I'm going past the University of Oklahoma. And that was one of the things I always wanted my little girl to do. And, and that was to attend school there. And uh, you know what? Um, here in August, that's where she went, and it, I had her picture of her OU cheerleader outfit on, and that you know, and I had it in my pocket, and that was what I cling to. You know, there's pictures of my wife and I, and other things, but you cling to those focal points, and that to me was the powerful uh, thing that I experienced, and I will never forget because it was it was historical, and whether it happens like that or not, you're your mind plays these things and all of a sudden you're just, you're just in a different place. And, and I always tell people it's, it's a faith driven process. We're not perfect, but certainly an experience like that really kind of brings you to light that, that there is something bigger uh, and more powerful uh, when we leave this world. Yeah. So you certainly felt that power and that faith or whether that's God you see or whatever it may be, you see the light. Uh, there's no doubt you felt that. Oh yeah, and you feel it with the strong conviction. Uh, of course, you know that the the good and the bad, and and the things you could have probably done better. Um, you know, and that's what makes you somewhat better in life is to have some understanding. I'm sorry that I had to hit a roadside bomb to understand some of these elements because you know them in the back of your mind. But you know, being respectful to people, understanding, you know, that you got to try to give all your all teamwork 
But that's what I noticed that day. All of those elements that, you know, you just, you think that they're words, but, you know, the word perseverance, you know, the word yep. uh, resiliency. I mean, those are words that are just not um, words that we speak. They're words of, of what you're, you're, of what this show is all about, reaching the high, high altitudes of success. And, you know, sometimes our experiences is what are able to do that so that we can be the best that we can be in whatever we do. Well, I think too, I mean, mindset, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, this show is a lot about your mindset and, and fears and attitude and beliefs and, and your actions that ultimately get you the results. But uh, I'm not going to name names, but for anybody, well, I guess we're not watching this. We're listening to it. But I got a Cardinal hat right here behind me. It's playoffs. We got game five, of the NLDS tonight. Cardinals are going to win four to two, by the way. That's my prediction, Ed. You all right with that? Hey, I'm in. No, hey, you know what? That's my f- second favorite team behind the Yankees. Now, I all love the right. Redbirds. Well, as long as you didn't they- say the Cubs, but that's fine. I know you hang out with my boy Izzy no. the other day at a golf tournament. I uh, know, but you know what? That you, that, that I t- you know, that's what I told him. I said, that logo that you all have yeah. is one of the most powerful brands ever, and it's never changed. And uh, I hope not, but it's one of those logos that, um, and I'm a big Steelers fan. That's kind of the same thing. That logo is a powerful brand. And, you know, when you talk about what those words you just described, that to me is the essence of of team and and identity and and of of honor and of wearing that uniform. So anybody that wears that Cardinal uniform better know that, uh, you know, those birds on on that baseball bat really truly mean a lot. And it's a historical value. Yeah. Um, of winning and of tradition. I don't know. I, I, it's one of my favorite teams. And I think by far, I always tell people it's my favorite um, logo on a uniform. I like it. It's your favorite national league team. We'll say that. So, but yeah, I mean, back to that mindset, work. I mean, whether you're a, a closing pitcher, I got my philosophy on this with our current closer. Uh, uh, you're a yeah. mindset of a CEO mindset of a, a man or woman in the military serving our country or you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it is that you're doing, mindset, in my opinion, is everything, right? You can know everything there is to know about mutual funds or a stock or the market or whatever it may be. But when it comes down to it, it's the mindset that gets you up every single day to go out and serve people, right? And our, our mission is to help people achieve a future greater than their past. And when you hear me talk about mindset and you hear some passion behind that, what comes to mind when you hear that word? Well, it, what comes to mind is that something that my father told me, what, and I didn't really describe the, the entire story, but being in the hospital, getting ready to lose my leg, and what I did afterwards was create something that I thought I knew I had to go to, and those were things that I'd learned, but then creating what I call my major ed's military tenets of success or the tenets of success in my life which if I can just share with you Absolutely. kind of what that means was one is my first word of, of, of success of getting back up on my feet and knowing that I couldn't give up on the precious gift of life was resiliency. And that word to me means never give up. Then from there, it was like integrity, like take the harder ride over the easier wrong. For me in the military duty, do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And then it folds of honor what I'm doing today and on behalf of the foundation and on behalf of other organizations that I, I'm out there supporting and promoting because I think when you have multiple and, and quadruple organizations working on the same types of things, 
all of us can collaborate and be better, but you can't do it unless you're passionate about it. And you have to be passionate about what you do and do what you're passionate about. And then I love this word that I use a lot and it's called impeccability. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. What that means to me is that that mindset has to be like, you know what, you might not be perfect, but you know what, you got to be driven and you got to get to that, to that, what I call standards of excellence. And then teamwork, um, talking about the Cardinals, you don't win a world series unless, um, you know, it's we in team, not I in team. And, and everyone has to understand whether it's the closer <laughs> to the guy that's the first up to hit, uh, to the person there that's in the dugout, to the people out in the stands, to the people that make the franchise work. All of it, to me, um, takes a team and a team effort. And you have to understand that, you know, within that teamwork, um, the I motto doesn't work. And you've seen what sports franchises, to use that metaphor, do when they think that one player can save it all. And that's one of the things that I learned from um, Bill Belichick um, at an event that I attended was that um, there is no I in team and everybody has their role and their, and their objective and, and they've trained to those standards of excellence. And you know what? People wonder why they win all those Super Bowls and have been successful for so many years uh, here lately is because of, of those standards of excellence. And then selfless service, it's always about giving back and in planning, you know, and perseverance. I think a lot of people don't plan very well these days. And so they fail to plan and plan to fail. And then one thing that I love about what I've done in life is loyalty. It's always up and down and across the organization. And then this one's my favorite, perseverance. It's not the Amen. size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And you know what? We can do whatever we want in this great nation if we put our, our effort to it, you know? Here's what I'm thinking. Teamwork you talked about. Here's what we're going to do. So my wife and I have a foundation for cancer called Swing for Hope. We, uh, yes. you know, families that are impacted with cancer. So we help them. Um, and then you got your folds of honor and all the other stuff you're doing. So Cardinals Yankees in the world series, we're going to get together in either New York or St. Louis, and we're going to do some kick butt event and we're going to raise some money for folds of honor and, uh, swing for hope. How's that sound? Well, I'll join you. I'll join you on the set to do that. If they get there, you know, and I, <laughs> Let's do I'm it. telling you that I think, I think right now those are those are the two best teams in baseball, like and um, and that's the way I look at it. And um, and so you know, and then of course you got the in the race still in the fight. I mean, they've been taking yeah. it to the Astros, right? They are game five tonight, <laughs> I think, for them too, or maybe tomorrow. But uh, let's talk about this, Ed. One of the questions I ask everybody yeah. is a question about fear. Uh, how many of the fears you put in your mind blow up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Right. So when you hear that, wow, again, how many of those fears have actually gone to the level you thought they would go to? And you've had something major happen in your life, right? That most people have not experienced. But how many of those fears blew up to your, in your mind? Well, you know, I have to say that the biggest fear was uh, in life for me wasn't really that explosion. I mean, as, as, as tragic as that may have been, um, the fear of not being able to, uh, and doubting yourself a little bit, because we all do, don't get me wrong, but oh, yeah. I remember doubting myself of whether I would be able um, to continue in the military, to, to be able to be in the military. And the reason is because in 1990, 
Um, I received notification that um, I had an ear issue. And of course, that's a waverable deal, but they have to waive it. And I remember somebody coming in and was like, well, they're not going to waive that kind of stuff. It's like someone that has messed up feet. And, uh, it, you know, the fear of, of losing, and I'd already been in the military. And so my hearing had been sort of messed up a little bit from the stuff that I'd been doing in the artillery side of the house. But man, the fear of like not being able to accomplish a goal to serve my country, even though I'd already been serving, but to res- to have that fear that I wouldn't be commissioned as an officer. And it was a fearful thing because I didn't know whether this waiver was going to go through and maybe it wasn't a big deal. But, you know, when you're, you know, young and, and you, all you want to do is be inspired and motivated and to put on that uniform and to put on those, um, you know, that rank and, and you've gone through, you know, the challenges and the issues, you know, you've gone, you, you, know, you went through your advanced camp and, and all of the things that went along and your final week of Ranger challenge is like your momentous time where you're like, man, am I going to make it? And then, you know, you get, you finally, finally get the call that you're going to get commissioned, uh, that that fear goes away. And it may be not the biggest story in the world, but to me, it, it, where would my career be if, that, if I would have been told that on behalf of a grateful nation, um, I'm not able to serve anymore. And the reason that that is a fear was a fear was that I would experience that years later when I hit this roadside bomb. I lose my leg. I have a traumatic brain injury. And that's another fear too. But that when they did come to me and they told me on behalf of a grateful nation, thank you for your service and your sacrifice. You are no longer fit for duty in the, in the armed forces of the United States of America. I can't tell you that that fear didn't come back. And it mm-hmm. came back to like, wow. Even though I did 20 years of my life, man, if I get emotional on you, I'm going to tell you. No, let it rip. That you're, man, that your country just told you that you can't move forward and you can't go on. And all you wanted to do was be a colonel and a general in the United States Army. Now, that I achieved, and not, not the general side of it, because then, you know, I found out that I'd be, I'd be up for promotion, but when they tell you that you're broken goods, that's pretty tough to, to take and to not get emotional about it. I, I wouldn't be human because it was one of those things that that's all I ever wanted to work for. And they tell you, thank you on behalf of a grateful nation. It's time for you to go home. And you know what? You go home, you take it, you know, you shed a tear and guess what? You come back more resilient than ever. And I think that to me is the, is, is where athletes go is sometimes, you know, some of them are not going to make it in the NFL or in, you know, in baseball or whatever. But there's some of those that don't take rejection and keep going and, and they end up doing some powerful things. And to me, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the story of fear for me. And, 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 and the other one I wanted to share real quick is that I would be fearful of knowing that I had a traumatic brain injury. And in 2008, because of the concussion blast, I would understand that I had a, a traumatic brain injury. They were starting to diagnose them. And now that's a very big fear for anyone. And I've talked to uh, Jim McMahon about this in the past too. You know, the concussions yeah. in, in NFL sports and, and the concussions on the battlefield. It's a lot 
of the, the same things. And all of it is about stimulating the brain and getting the brain back to at least reconnecting. And that to me is a very powerful thing. And so a lot of people are not, I'm glad they're talking about it today, but think about how many professional athletes, you know, lived with concussions and junior say outcomes to mind, you know, lived yeah. with a concussion and look what happens. And, and so we have to do a lot more in that area. And that's where my life has gone. And so utilizing those fears to end, to end this question, utilizing my fears to empower others to be the best that they can be and to understand that, you know what, it's okay to be broken, but that doesn't mean that you can't try to put those pieces together. Yeah. It made me think of something when you said, you know, you, you, you get told that you're damaged goods and you got to go home from something you've worked your tail off for your whole life and dreamed of your whole life. But you said you shed a tear, you move on, but that that's easy to say, but very, very hard to do. And so that's what I have. I call the bounce back theory. The most successful people in the world, business, sports, military, you name it. We've talked to so many of them on this show is that bounce back theory has to be really quick, right? Snapping my fingers here really quick because those that go home and, and, you know, stew over it for a week or a month or some little business deal didn't go their way versus the man or woman that says, you know what, that, that sucked, but you know what, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be mad for a little bit, but now the pity party's over and it's time to go back to the drawing board tomorrow or today, right? This afternoon after this bad news and I got to get back after it. And I think that's exactly what I hear you did. Doesn't mean it was easy, but that's what you did. And that's what you fought for every day. Yeah. And that was what the purposeful piece of learning of life that not that you didn't learn obstacles in the past that would impede progress in the future, but that, that that obstacle could be an avenue of doing something purposeful and, and a change in your life and where you're going. And, and I, looking back now, I don't even look back. I mean, it, the story of Folds of Honor is an incredible story of exactly that. No money at the beginning, and now we're $150 million into something very powerful all over the country, people promoting and, and directing their resources to, to the cause, and that is to give back uh, to military families and to our military. And, and that, to me, is a, maybe that what you just described as, you know, hey, the pity party's over. It's time to get on it. But you can still wear the uniform or you could still give back. And, and you know, it's interesting. I talked to a lot of NFL and, and baseball and, and um, NBA players that I've, that I've come across. All of them have said the same thing. The hardest thing was exactly what you just described. For those first, you know, one, two, three months, what are you going to do? How, what am I going to do to get up? Because your routine's different now. And the power of, of all of that is that you, can't, you have to be resilient in your nature and, and your approach and of your understanding of what's next in life. Yep. So I give you uh, a chance to go out and meet somebody, talk to somebody. Uh, you're going to get to have dinner with this person. Who is that person and why? Anybody in the world? Wow. Well, you know, I, I, I will tell you, I've had some – I've had some great dealings with a lot of people. I mean, one of the people that comes to mind that I've, I've actually had interaction with is uh, General Tommy Franks. But if I had to really, truly um, say, hey, I want to sit down with this individual um, and have dinner and break bread, I'd have to be my 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 hero and my favorite president, uh, Ronald Reagan. 
Yeah. And I wrote about Ronald Reagan in my book. Um, if there was a military gentleman, I would have to say that it would be, um, uh, I would love either General Schwarzkopf, which I actually met once um, in, in 1990, but um, I would say Colin Powell. And I think what Colin Powell brings to the table um, is something that I think a lot of people in this country should admire. And I think uh, the African-American community comes to mind, the Hispanic community. Uh, that diversity is, is, a, is something that could be useful. It could be something that could elevate um, a young person that may not have the best of circumstances, but understands that, you know what, there could be opportunity because of diversity in our great nation to be able to open doors and, and to utilize, you know, those strengths um, and those upbringings as, as experiences to say that, you know what, I can make it. And that to me is, is what I see. The other thing I see is that um, in America, you know, in, in, in meeting a Colin Powell, um, that the principles of leadership that he embodies, that the command presence and the, um, and the outlook of, of understanding that, you know what, he's a great American, um, you know, that's very important. And then if it was a female, Condoleezza Rice comes to mind. Um, and I just think, you know, she embodies that same spirit of understanding that, you know what, um, you make it. And, and so those are people that to me, you know, growing, well, as I grow even further, um, going back to Ronald Reagan, that's who inspired me to join the United States Army, too. Hmm because of his inaugural address in 1981 and understanding what those words meant, you know? I like it. So what would you, uh, kind of parting advice here, somebody that's listening, they're driving down the road, they're struggling. Maybe it's something major in their life. Maybe it's something minor in life. Maybe it's weight loss. Maybe it's, uh, do I take that career plunge? Whatever it may be. Uh, what advice would you have for them? But also what advice would you have for yourself pre-August 17th, 2004? Well, as far as advice is concerned, I actually did this uh, four days ago, and there's a young man, and I uh, can't say his name, but there's a young man who uh, his mom reached out to me, and his mom asked me to talk to him. Um, he's going to get his leg amputated in about uh, two months, and that, uh, and in fact, he has to do it in December when he has school break. And uh, one of the things that that he asked me, he said to say, he asked me the same thing, you know. And I said, you know what? Don't quit. Never quit. As hard as it's going to be, don't quit. And he's got he's only ten years old, oh. um, so he's got a long life. Um, but what I also told him, and I said, you know, utilize utilize this experience in the future. Uh, to be the best that you can be. Uh, but also, you know what? Hey, once you get it amputated, you put on a prosthetic leg and now you become a symbol of something very special. And I would not learn this till later. And that was the symbol that as an amputee, I can touch people each and every day. As a person that I work with my other organization, Warriors for Freedom, that we can provide mental, physical, and wellness through Folds of Honor, that we can provide the spouses and children of the fallen, wounded, and disabled scholarships, that you can write a book, that you can go out and promote and raise money and do so many incredible things for others. And whether it's going out and feeding the homeless to 
which I, we've done and to going out and making a, a peer visit to someone that has cancer and maybe losing a limb because of it and the cancer, you don't know whether it's going away or not, that to me, we can always have and give others hope, opportunity, and value. And that those three words to me are very important because when I was in the hospital, not recently, because I got messed up on my leg, there was a gentleman there. And one of the things that was said to me from him was, man, who are you? Who are these people that, that you are, are coming to visit you? And, and as I got more to his story, what was sad, and this is for the listeners out there, what was sad is that he indicated that, you know what, he was going to die alone. And to me, as hard as life is, um, sometimes you have to sit back and reflect and say, you know what, um, I don't want to, I don't want to go through that. And it brings back that movie, the mule. You, yeah. I think you probably have seen it with oh, yeah. Clint Eastwood. It's got yep. some great metaphors in that movie. And, and that to me was one of the things that I, for the first time in my life, I experienced the fact that this veteran, um, who was terminal, who would die in three weeks after I left that hospital that, you know what? No one was going to come see him. And so the next day on that Friday, before I got discharged, I had all my visitors go see him and say hello to him. And, and he wrote me a little let note. And he said, you know what? Thank you for the motivation and inspiration. I will never forget. Mm. And that's, that's what I, to end your question on that is what legacy can we leave when we leave here? Right. And your legacy is to put out some great stuff and, and to get people to be connected to something. Uh, and my legacy is to basically support and help others um, so that they can have the same success that I've had in my life. That's right. Well, where can our listeners find more of Major Ed Polito? Well, they can go to, uh, well, I've got a website and they can go to uh, majored.org and get my book. It's called Warrior for Freedom. Uh, challenge, triumph, and change. Challenge is sitting on the battlefield, almost losing my life. Triumph is taking the first step after amputation. And change is living adaptively, knowing that, you know, I changed. And that's something I have to deal with each and every day. And, uh, and they can go to that. They can go to foldsofhonor.org and get more information about how they can support the spouses, children of the fallen, wounded, and disabled. And, and then, you know, you can support Warriors for Freedom and other organizations out there that support our military. If they can do that, you know what? They have made a difference in my life, and certainly they have uh, touched someone that uh, they may not even know who served their country to give them the freedom that they have each and every day. Amen, brother. Well, man, it's been absolutely awesome and uh, having you. Thank you so much for your service, what you've done for our country. All the men and women out there that are uh, serving our great country allows us to go out and do the things that we are so blessed to get to do, man. So uh, we're very thankful for that and thankful for you to be on the Circuit of Success. Man, and thank you for having me on the show and continue with your success of putting out great information for the general public. It's what it's all about. And it's what it needs uh, to be told in this great country for inspiration and, and also for a dedication to not only the causes we represent, but to the industries that we love. And, uh, and you're following your dream, my man. Thanks for having me, my brother. Thank you. All right. We'll be back all next week with another uh, great episode of the Circuit of Success. Thanks for joining uh, myself and Ed Polito on this week's Circuit of Success. Mm-hmm. 
Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 